Welcome to Notice That, an EMDR podcast. Here, you will find discussion on all things EMDR from MDR-approved trainers and consultants, as well as some co-hosts. EMDR is an approach to the entire therapeutic journey, not just reprocessing trauma. This podcast will feature discussion on the therapeutic relationship, understanding and using the original eight-phase protocol, and what to do to bring deeper understanding to the why behind EMDR and what to do when you're stuck. This podcast is an invitation to connect and learn together about EMDR and the process of psychotherapy. We are glad that you're here. Welcome back to Notice That. EMDR podcast. It is Jen and I here in the cold. It's so cold. <laughs> it's so cold. For those of you that don't know, the cold is the worst for Jen. Oh man. I'm wrapped in a blanket right now. Yes. How often do you wear blankets in session? Oh, pretty much all the time. All of the yeah, time. Yeah, it's always on the back of my chair and then I'm like, I'm just going to get my blanket so real quick. Pull it over. Yes. Yes. That's amazing. Um, I'm not I'm never cold, really. Hmm. I don't know how that's possible. I may lucky, chatter I at some point in this recording. It's, <laughs> it's, it's not a breeze. It's it's Jen's teeth yes. chattering. I've actually found that makes people really uncomfortable. How do you mean? When I chatter. Like, what do you? They'll be like, are you okay? <laughs> are you cold? And they like want to oh, so like make it evokes stop. Like a, yes. Yeah. A I'm care like, oh, response. no, this is just my body I'm warming like, me up. Yeah. <laughs> It's like when your car shutters because the AC turns on or something or the heater it's turns this on. It's normal. It's okay. I don't know. But they get very like concerned. Fix it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, we got to make this stop immediately. I'm like, oh no, this is so normal. <laughs> well, I hope I, I care about you. <laughs> if I ignore it, I don't mean to like. Oh no. I don't know I if I'm in the fine. camp to. Do I take care of it? Or do I ignore it? Just the chatter is a good thing. It's just my it's body warming itself up. Okay. So if that happens mid-session, it's okay. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. Totally. Very cool. All right. Well, anyway. <laughs> so enough about my, <laughs> my temperature. That's amazing. Um, so we are in the midst of Back to Basics. Um, did you guys have a staff gathering Back to Basics? Yeah, we did. What was that like? It was awesome. So I think You set the scene because I, I wasn't there. I just yeah. heard about this. So like, what was it like? I think on the first podcast, we talked about that we're going to parallel this with yeah. our like clinical team. So it was during group supervision. We extended it to be 90 minutes instead of 60. And like everybody showed up, Whoa. which was so cool. It was the for, for sure the fullest group supervision we've had in a while. Wow. So that just told you like how excited everyone was. Um, and yeah, we just started with the very, very beginning and similar to the going through the book that we're doing is like, oh my, this is going to take like an entire year to get through because we thought we were going to cover this certain stretch and all just started diving in and processing. I think we made it through like a page or something. <laughs> like, <laughs> a page. Yeah. That's pretty on pace with like yeah, the podcast. There's just so much to cover. Yeah. But it, was, and it evokes so much now at this point of right. our practice. It's, it, you know, if you're just reading through the book, it's kind of straightforward. But when yeah. you start to think about 
practice and actually like applying or application yeah. of the material, that's where there's so much to be said in between the lines. Yes. And then you take a room full of people engaging in discussion about it. Like on the podcast, it's just the three of us talking about yeah. it. And then you get the questions and their experience of it and yeah, their feelings that come up with each little piece. Yeah. So it may take us twice as long in that group, but it was a beautiful conversation. Yeah. I feel like that room, at least I would imagine it sort of is like a snapshot of uh, the span or spectrum of people who listen to the podcast mm -hmm. from people who have been using EMDR for a long time yeah. to people who aren't yet even trained in it. Yep. And I feel like that's where we wanted to take this episode to kind of speak to that spectrum and even maybe reflect on our own journey mm -hmm. of progressing with EMDR. Yeah. Um, do you remember, I don't know if I've ever actually heard you talk about why you got trained in EMDR. Yeah. In grad school, it was like a fleeting statement that was made that like piqued my interest. I was like, what's this thing they talk about? And then that, what's this thing they talk <laughs> what is that? and they like barely <laughs> talked about it. And it was this like mystical, like, yeah, they do these wild things. They being and, professors? Yeah. Okay. Um, and I think he showed like a little clip of something probably from YouTube of whatever okay. was there at the time. I wonder what that was like. <laughs> it was it was focused on veterans and it felt very mystical. Like they like you follow this light really rapidly for a little while and then all of a sudden these changes happened and <laughs> and then we moved on. And so it had always been like tucked away in my mind of like, that's fancy. That's, <laughs> that's fancy. <yeah. laughs> that's I awesome. know, like maybe you know more about that. So years went by of working like internship, working in the field with substance use. And just feeling this like dead end of there's so much trauma here and I can't even begin to like touch it. Do you feel like you had a had any conceptualization of what trauma meant to you then? Yeah, I was very, I mean, trauma was something in that field was very acknowledged and talked about. That substance um, use and trauma. Yes. Correlate. Yeah. At least where I was practicing. Now it wasn't substance use wasn't treated through treating the trauma. Uh, it was the acknowledgement of the correlation, but we're still trying to manage the behavior, stop the behavior because it's re-traumatizing them, which was accurate. Right. But um, really getting a sense of like, this is so superficial mm. and temporary. And I would sit with clients who just had devastating histories and when they would share about it and I would listen and that's all I would know to do in that is like, okay, maybe we create a timeline with it or like an autobiography was an assignment they would have to do in the treatment center. Yeah. But I could listen, I could validate, I could connect and then that was it. Hmm. And so another clinician I started looking at EMDR at that point saying like, what else can we learn? What else can we do? So people in the organization weren't doing No EMDR. one else was trained at that point. Okay. Pioneer Jen. <laughs> well, they, they wouldn't support it. They wouldn't pay for it. Oh my goodness. Yes. I'm sure that really lit you up. Yes. It was just like, <laughs> are you kidding me? So I was committed enough to just be like, I'll do it on my own and it will like professional development track. I could see like, this is a direction of the field. Yeah. This is going to really be a smart investment investment and professional move. So I would have loved if they had supported it. They've supported people since then, which I'm grateful that that's, that's very they're cool. seeing that. Yeah. 
but yeah, so doing that and then took that first training, it was just like, oh man, this is so needed. But then shortly after <laughs> being like, but how do you apply this when there is this much trauma? Shortly not- after, is that like when you went back and tried yeah. things from the first training? So between training one and two, I did the two part. I found um, a client that wasn't through the treatment center, was like a volunteer-based single incident trauma, um, was able to like practice with him and it was incredible. And then after part two came back and started trying it with some of my clients in treatment Mm. and just feeling really discouraged. Like these, it was women at the time were in residential treatment and they had 30 days and you hoped they stayed and you hoped they continued with outpatient afterwards. But in your 30 days, you saw them like four to six times. Hey, EMGR should be great for that, right? Succession. Yeah, short term. Right. You're going to be able to see big change in six sessions. But then you'd pull that history and see decades of just like the greatest suffering you could imagine. And then being like, where do I put this? <laughs> How do I target this? And we would do it and it felt like it would open up more trauma, like there was like so many associations and resourcing felt like kind of back to the top down kind of work, like management, which was good, but still didn't feel like we were really doing what we needed to do. So it was hard. It was way harder to apply it in that population than what I had hoped it would be. Yeah. I mean, in that type of setting, I worked in a at a mission here in town and we had a very similar day program where it was men they could only stay if they were sober and so at best you could have 30 days of casework and behavioral therapy with them and then there was a long-term recovery program that they could graduate into if they went through the 30 days with no demerits Mm -hmm. and you know no incidences um but then you know the turnover rate was absurd as you can imagine um just a you know group of really suffering individuals that are immersed in a culture um behind the scenes of the city and so just all kinds of things that would re-traumatize and re-trigger and bring back the behaviors and all these things but that i remember sitting as a behavioral technician at the time uh feeling the pressure of i don't know how long i have with you yes and so i don't know are you listening to me like are do you feel (laughs) how precious this time is yeah and so hearing you talk about trying to implement emdr and what i can only imagine is very similar Mm -hmm. type of pressurized environment a lot of unknowns and a pit in your stomach that says i wonder if relapse is coming mm-hmm. or if they're just trying to check the boxes to get through this, how is this four to six sessions going to make a difference? Yeah. Yeah. Or is it potentially risky? Like you hear clinicians now, like, I don't want to break my clients. That feeling's so real. Mm. Um, you remember that feeling? Then? Oh my gosh. So much. One client in particular, she was in a court program facing the, like losing her kids um, to the system and her, it was on her treatment plan from her court program to do EMDR to target her trauma. So it's like wow. assigned to her. And she was motivated. She really, really wanted to like address all the things so she could get her kids back. But starting that processing 
as it's assigned and there's a timeline of like she has her TPR hearing coming up, her termination of parental parental rights. rights. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And just being like, okay, here we go. Like, this is what we're supposed to do. And then it just feeling like it just like opened up all of this stuff. I learned things about her I never even knew. Like it was, it was not helpful. And I, I look back as a, like a brand new, not that season of a clinician period, like a couple of years in the field, but then also a brand new EMDR clinician and just be like, oh my God, I would do it so differently now. Yeah. Wait, so this isn't so a case that went a completely according to plan, oh, knocked it no, out of the park? a little bit off. <laughs> okay, just like, dang it. I feel like all we hear in EMDR is the slam dunk cases that yeah. work super well. Um, that's a joke. This is one that will live in my mind forever of like, I think this is actually the untold story of, of why, and to me, even why we're having this conversation is implementing EMDR. It doesn't matter how, in my perspective anyway, how impactful or transformative or revolutionizing the training was for you. When you try and take that back to the population or treatment setting that inspired you to get trained in it in the first place, it doesn't go just yeah. like a perfect plug-in play. That's like the oxymoron of the whole situation is the population and the depth of its trauma, you have to treat the trauma to see the behavior stop. But then when you come in and try to apply it, it's like, oh no, you have to get the behaviors, like you have to stabilize before you can treat the trauma. Oh yeah. And so you're well, just in this like constant like, and that's to Whack-a-mole. me, that's the reality <laughs> of complex trauma is it's not a do this and then this. It's not linear. It's this constant dance and like responsiveness to like we need to stabilize enough to address some of the trauma and only do enough of that to come back and restabilize. Like yeah. it's a back and forth process because that client, I tried to say like, oh, okay, we've been doing symptom management for at that point, I'd probably worked with her for eight months. And she still was struggling tremendously and was going to lose her kids if she some kind of big change didn't happen. So then when we tried to come in and do this like big change, it was not effective. She struggled a lot. She ultimately lost her children, like mm. dropped out of treatment. Like it was just like a terrible scenario. Yeah. And it's like, man, if from the beginning of her entering into the system, there was that way of like dancing between the two. Yeah of management stabilization strategies for her and treating the trauma, not a one or the other. Yeah, it reminds me of when we talk about our approach in at Beyond of treating complex trauma with EMDR, we talk about the three stages of mm-hmm. symptom reduction, dealing with traumatic memory and integration of the self. Yeah. And we talk about it as a nonlinear right. process but if you're actually wanting to experience the change and relief, especially one that is generalizable and um, durable over time, mm-hmm. it must include attention to all three of those yeah. pieces. As you look back to that case, you said you would have done it so differently. Mm-hmm. Do you remember or do you have like an idea now of like what you would have told little I Jen? I did not <laughs> torment myself with that, but... <laughs> We don't have to go right. there if, if you don't if want to. If I were but. to think about like me as a clinician now, how differently it would have looked if she had come in, it wouldn't have been from the point of me getting trained because at that point she had already been in the system with, for a while. Yeah. So at that point, I really think, unfortunately, it was already too late. Like, yeah. 
um, yeah, as far as for losing that her go. kids. Yeah. yeah, right. It was already too late for preventing that. I think her kids have been in care for like two and a half years already. So yeah. anyway, but to look at that, to say if from the beginning, the work would have been, like I said, the balance of both the stabilization and tending to the trauma, which I think in EMDR, what that means is it's not just about identifying the target and desensitizing specific memories. It's about resourcing in a way that is also repatterning their nervous systems. Mm -hmm. The resourcing becomes the trauma work when the traumas are intolerable to look at. We have to almost like back into it. We can't look at it head on and approach and tackle the trauma. It's too sensitive. The metaphor I use with clients is like if you're trying to pick up like a spiky ball with like it's like knives or something. Like a sea urchin or something. Yes. You can't just grab it. You can't just like rip it out and tackle it. stab you. We have to soften it with resourcing and come like approach it in this like kind of backwards way. And that alone will start to work on those memories. Mm -hmm. If we're really doing this intentional, meaningful, deep relational resourcing, and then when it's soft enough, we can go in and look at the the actual trauma experiences. Yeah. So I think my work with her would have been so much more attachment focused, relational focused, um, and and lots of EMDR applied in that way. Yeah. But that's not traditional EMDR session. Sure. And. In that prescribed treatment mandated by a court system, mm-hmm. it, it really, to me, validates the absurd pressure put on the clinician yeah. to say some judge somewhere wants to see these behaviors change yeah. and they're going to write EMDR on it and give it to you, almost forcing this, we have to go after the behavior the the memories or experiences that we think cause the behaviors. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like you have to go straight for the ball of knives or the sea yeah. urchin or whatever. These we're both going to get hurt in the process. Yeah, like. and it's not going to go well. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, but to say one of the other pieces as well that I love about what you just mentioned is that even with that same treatment parameter set for you, your focus would be attachment-based. Absolutely. Now. Absolutely. Yeah. It's hard to imagine not like being in a seeing through lenses that didn't have that in it at one point in time. <laughs> yeah. Because it's all you can see once you notice it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This conversation really makes me feel for people taking EMDR into a pre existing treatment approach or mm-hmm. client base or population that they're working with and trying to now make a transition from whatever patterns were already established with their clients to now say, all right, hold on, stop. Here's this new thing that I was trained in and I'd love to work on it with you if that's okay. And going through now this whole download, I feel like in, in EMDR trainings, it's almost to me undersold as like this will just be a seamless transition. Mm -hmm. You'll just be able to go back and just start like working with your clients with this approach. Almost to me, missing how abrupt a shift it can be. Yeah. um, And still then how shaky it'll feel 
You'll be still reading your scripts likely because they're not memorized yet. So if that's not been a part of your treatment approach up to this point. That's different. That's different. <laughs> yeah. Then you got this like tech in the room or like a tapper or I'm you're now waving your arm. Like yeah. very different than just a person who's used to sitting on a couch four feet away from a client not directly focusing on them, mm -hmm. like two ships passing in the night. Yeah. And then like, I remember even in the training, like going over the consent process to change the orientation of my chair. Yeah, Like okay I'm gonna move I... my chair, do you mind if I stand up? And then yeah. you know, standing up from that position and setting up almost directly, you know, square to the person, that feeling so awkward. Yes. <laughs> oh man. and. My mind is like, why? Why do we make it such a big deal? <laughs> like, why is that a whole portion of the training? <laughs> I, yeah, I, I don't. But, I don't know because I go back and forth because for some people, like, if you're going to do the eye movements, yeah, with yeah. your fingers, yes, it has to happen. It does, and it feels like it's like it needs to be really explicitly addressed, acknowledged. But I also think. The emphasis that's put on there says that like EMDR is this foreign object that you're going like, to like, yeah, <laughs> plop into a, a moment and mm -hmm. either you're doing it or you're not doing it. And it's the moment that I like move my chair is when my oh, EMDR starts. It. Right. Oh, it like sets yeah. up this weird, but, it, but you are right. Like it is, there is a lot of difference and a lot of change there. I'm, I'm curious after you took the training. When yeah. you came back, because at that point you were seeing clients at the, were you at the mission still? I was at, so I actually was at three places okay. at the time. Yeah, so you so, had to learn how to integrate it yes, into Yes, but I also <laughs> used that to my advantage because the mission was not open to the length of session okay. that it would have taken to do. Uh, I think I could do it now if I was myself in that setting uh -huh. because I wouldn't have had to there there's a younger version of me <laughs> that wanted to present at every occasion I could <laughs> on these types of things and so, <laughs> and so I remember taking it back to the mission that I was working at and just saying like this can like change uh -huh. these guys's lives <laughs> like just, like I was just so zealous and just excited and was met with a lot of resistance mm. because like, you know, money and time yeah. and space. I was, do I was in doing, a closet. yes, there's toilet paper here and there was a mop bucket over there. I can oh see it very clearly. Gosh. And the smell, let me tell oh you. Oh my gosh. Let me tell you the smell. <laughs> so doing any type of positive resource development would have been, I can't What imagine. do you smell? Yeah. Dirty but, bleach water. Yeah, that's right. I did get to sneak it in ways like with the, the bilateral padding and things like that. So I kind of infused it with some self-compassion meditation stuff mm -hmm. at the time in that setting. But that was sort of the door slam for me of like implementing EMDR in this setting. No, can't yeah. happen. Yeah. The other place was at a university counseling center. Okay. And they had some questions about it from a liability standpoint, and they didn't think that the presentations were severe enough to warrant a trauma-focused therapy. So they just wanted traditional talk mm -hmm. therapy with sort of a um, a school counseling focus, like prepare them for success in the classroom. That's what we need to be yeah. working on. So that was a no. But then I was also seeing uh, five clients at this uh, place called 
beyond. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, where are you going yeah. with this? I don't know about this. Well, place. it wasn't beyond. I don't know what it was at the time. It was creative health or something like that. Yeah. We were kind of just scattered around. Yeah. Down in different places. Yeah. It, but it was yes, something. It was the pre-beyond. The pre, yes, yes. <laughs> Prehistoric beyond. <laughs> Land before time type mm-hmm. of vibe. Um, but that was then full integration yeah. of it. Yeah. I mean, so it was a really strange uh, spectrum. Yeah. Like transitioning from workplaces felt like so mm-hmm. totally different. Um, yeah. So that one was really easy to integrate because I got to do nothing but mm-hmm. a treatment approach that was very familiarized with the EMDR process. And you were taking new clients in that way that didn't really have Had an no existing relationship with you in another nope, way. And they knew that EMDR was going to be a thing. Yep. And we had all of the stuff around us all the time. Yeah. So it wasn't weird for us to, you know, change orientation. That was where I realized that buzzers were going to be my favorite uh-huh. way. Um, and it's never changed for me yep. since. Um, yeah. So that was my yes. That was my beginning. So when we were talking about this episode, we were highlighting this difference of like just doing EMDR as an intervention. Yeah. And what I think what you're describing is at your third location, like it, it wasn't just an intervention. Like you could, it got to be full integration. It was all kind of set up as this natural flow, but oftentimes when people are coming into a pre-existing caseload and yeah. a way of working or an agency, a structure of a system of some sort, it's like, oh, even my billing code says to, this mm-hmm. is an EMDR session and this one's not. And here we're going to start EMDR in this minute when I move my chair or when I pull out my device and then we're going to stop. Yeah, that was very like disintegrated way of seeing therapy. That was a part of what slammed the door at the second treatment location at the University Counseling Center was that there was no way to, in their mind, inform the clientele of what options of treatment were available to them. Because if I was going to be the only EMDR trained clinician of, there was like 20 something, Yeah, um, there was no way to break that break that down as a lottery or something like mm-hmm. that so there was a lot of ethical things that got in the way there um in their mind again. yeah at the first treatment center in the mission i got to integrate some of the bilateral like i was saying and i remember still to me one of my it was both my earliest and my most profound experience of resource development was with a with was with a guy he was one of our better uh, treatment, um, oh, I'm forgetting the language. There's like a whole vernacular. Um, I can't remember the the term, but um, did you know followed the rules basically mm-hmm. more <laughs> than any other person. Uh, always did their chores. Um, was there for meal time, consistent. You know, just did really well. But what that to me means is that he really cared about his recovery and wanted to be, you know, to change his life and be done with, with the way that he was suffering before and wanted to get into the treatment program. So he was really eager to see Mm. me. And so he would make sure to meet our time every week. Um, But he talked to me about this one experience where he was waiting for the bus to take him to work. And 
the bus never came and he lost his job. Mm. And he remembers running, trying to get to his job. And if he said it felt like the sun was going down my throat, it was so hot. And we were in the middle of this conversation and he was just like, and all I could think about was how badly I wanted to come home, which was the mission, and get my Sprite, take a shower, and go into the sleeper house, which was, they had these long corridors of tight bunks, mm -hmm. but wall AC units, oh, like yeah. uh, blinds over the windows, completely dark, mm -hmm. you know, it's just for sleeping, basically, mm -hmm. and very cold. And he's like, that's all I wanted. And so right in that moment, we kind of just started the bilateral tapping. Mm -hmm. It was just like guiding him through the RDI of that experience. And he just started like crying. <laughs> and when we, re when we went back to that original memory of missing the bus and running, he's like, it doesn't really even, I'm just like caught up in the Sprite right now. Yeah. <laughs> and that was just like such a powerful experience for me that it really changed and laid the foundation for what now we call like creative resourcing, mm -hmm. where I just saw immediately what you were talking about, that resource development really is gonna do a lot of the trauma work for yeah. us if we can pair it really intentionally with what the client is presenting. And yeah, I still think about him. Man. And my, my brain spirals into this like, okay, so what did that image actually mean to him? Cause it's not like, it probably wouldn't have had the same impact on the trauma of missing the bus if it was like imagining yourself on a beach somewhere in safe place. But there was meaning to like, Refuge. when I could come home, home, that word, I could come home, I could retreat from this panic and pain and fear and all of these things and I'll be okay. I don't know. I'm making up whatever it meant to him. I don't know. But yeah. It I mean, held he described such it deeper meaning in such a longingly articulate way. Yeah, like his cadence changed. He's like, all I could think about, I was thinking about you, and I was thinking about, man, I just want to go home, and I want to get my sprite. And he would do this every day. There's something so human and beautiful about this man. I just want to get my sprite. I want to go take a cold shower, and then I just wanted to go to the sleeper house. And he would, which I don't know like how good this was for him as a human, but he would lay in a bunk that the window unit was literally above his head, <laughs> pouring down on him. <laughs> this like cold air. Uh -huh. And he would just just like knock out sleep. Yeah. 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 Beautiful. Oh. And to be able to see how when we tap into those, whatever that meant to him, whatever that yeah. represented, yeah. like we actually will see this shift in. It wasn't just a state change. It wasn't just like escaping the memory yeah. of or like thinking of something different. There was something that actually allowed it to shift that memory yeah. so I could go back and not feel the same level of fear yeah. and activation. And, and we panic. made this... Uh, we made this thing together. I didn't mean to tell the story, but we got a Sprite bottle and there was some gravel from the, um, there was like this little Zen garden area thing. We put that in there. And then on AC units, sometimes there's like ribbons, uh -huh. you know? And he said he really liked those sounds. And so we took a couple of those and wrapped them around the cap 
and tied it. And that was like his little, yeah. he had like this like little resource thing that he yes. carried in his bag. Um, so that was his like, and he could hear the rocks, you know, when he would want it. So oh, beautiful. it was pretty cool. I love it. That's such a good story. Yeah. It was super cool. Very rewarding. Wasn't sure how it was going to go, but not traditional EMDR either. No. Like as you would think about it, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But still tremendously meaningful. Yes. <laughs> um, I felt like we just were in a, a lovely place yeah. for a while and I've forgotten our agenda, <laughs> what we wanted to talk about. Who needs agendas anyway? <laughs> well, it's, I feel like there's a point. <laughs> there is. So the point we were looking at is that shift of like EMDR being this like thing. Like it's a moment that it's on and it's a moment's off. And I mm. think what I love in that story more than anything is it's painting the picture of one, it, it being so much more than just here's a standard protocol. Here's the identified target. Let's walk through it in this way. Yeah. Looking at different ways that it can really come into the space, into the relationship, into the treatment process. But I think what it takes to be able to do that is to understand, either to get lucky and we slip into it and it's yeah, like, it's cool. I didn't even know how that was working, but it was really great. <laughs> but then the next level, I think, in like professional development as an EMDR therapist is like, how do we see the picture so much bigger than just the intervention of EMDR and be able to like find those moments that you just had or described yeah. having really intentionally. Yes, with intention. Yes. I, I love that point. Because it's great when we accidentally slip into them and that does happen yeah. quite often. But when we can bring, and this will bring us into the case conceptualization piece that we wanted to talk about, like yeah. when we can fully see a bigger picture and we can ask those questions of like, what did that space actually mean to him? Mm -hmm. Not just, I love the cold air, but like, what does it mean in his bigger picture of like development and safety yeah. and connection? Like what meaning does it hold? Yeah. We can start to more intentionally select and move into those resources mm -hmm. yeah i was just thinking about what positive cognition could have gone with that mm. experience for him and obviously i hadn't just i didn't use any of those words because i hadn't we weren't doing traditional emdr yeah. you know you weren't so. allowed to even exactly exactly <laughs> so i wonder what what he would have said if i would have put an explicit cognition on top of that mm -hmm. Like I am safe yeah. and how that, I guess that's what I hope you would have felt. Yeah. Because with that, so little had he ever felt that before. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But that's really where the case conceptualization, had I been really thoroughly practicing from that standpoint, then could have seen this guy doesn't ever feel safe. Yeah. And doesn't ever feel in control, doesn't ever feel like he has autonomy or choice or even a person who will listen to him. Yeah. And we could have then set up a lot of really meaningful uh, experiences in therapy together where that would have come to the focus each session. Yeah. Could have they, become the new theme that you yeah, were working on. Yeah, that we on. were working on. And even just to share that with him, like, is mm -hmm. this how you feel a lot of the time and getting to then set goals that that mirrored yeah. those those needs yeah yeah and i just go to thinking like 
missing the bus for that job interview? How did that put his system into a state of like threat Mm. of maybe the job was the outlet to finally find safety or to get out of the situation he's in and to miss that, but then to retreat back and say, actually, all all I need in this moment, I need my Sprite, my cold air. He's thinking of you. Yeah. Connection, like all these things that like, I am okay right now. Not that that's to deter me from looking at jobs and things, but my body doesn't have to feel devastation and panic and threat when the bus doesn't come. Yeah. And that experience had to be so dysregulating for him because he had taken that bus before and it didn't come. Like the bus didn't come. It's not that he missed the bus. It didn't come. Like think of the meaning that could be taken from that. Oh my gosh. When I try to go to this job, the universe just like kicks me when Mm -hmm. I'm down again. Yet again. What am I supposed to do? And he just remembered like trying to run and noticing like he's getting sweaty and he's going to you know, mm-hmm. it's just not how we wanted to be. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like when we talk about case conceptualization, and this to me brings in a conversation we were having yesterday or the day before about SIP, um, that EMDR is so well recognized. And that's a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. Like that means that more people are going to get trained in it. More people are going to have access at, from a client standpoint to experience this life-changing therapy Yes, but what? how do we make sense of the wide array of how it goes when you try to actually do it mm-hmm. yeah. throughout your career? That's where case conceptualization is not just another thing to do or to make, make sure you've, you know, quote unquote, checked the box right. on, but it's something, it's a rhythm of life in this profession to have regular encounters both in yourself and your time thinking about your cases Mm -hmm. and with your clients but also as a community Mm -hmm. engaging in this rhythm of professional development together um it's not for us at all like a an objective thing yeah it changes it from therapy doing something that you do into a way of like relating that that creates healing. Yes. Like it's a way of being in relationship together, a way of interacting that each of those moments hold potential for healing yeah. from the past. And I think there are things that you do in that very tangible step-by-step process, yeah. but also then it's to take the moments of like, we're just chatting about a movie that we both happen to see or chatting about your new dog you got and to be able to say like, how does this way of relating and the way we're responding and interacting and engaging in this moment actually also become part of the healing process? Yeah. Finding those themes and bringing them into like everything that we're doing. Yeah. And it's not a, it it is a wonderfully mysterious process and just like the awe of human experience, but it's not an unknowable or unpredictable even like when you start to engage in this practice together and when we set our mind to learn something relationally like SIP it can help us set up what you were referencing earlier of predictability of Mm -hmm. the intentionality we can bring like it's not that every you know one size fits all but every human has needs that we Mm -hmm. can understand and that we can talk about together and that we can map the devastation that emerged when those needs weren't met 
or when they were met in a conditional way yep. or when they were exploited and see then where these behaviors that we're struggling with or these patterns that we're struggling with later in life so easily tie back to those first experiences of those needs not mm -hmm. being met or being met conditionally or exploited or, or whatever. Um, yeah, and there's, like you said, it's not just a mystical thing. It's, I mean, there's tons of evidence or tons of research, tons of neuroscience yes. that's actually pointing us in the direction of what are those critical pieces of development? Yeah. And how is that shaping and informing yeah. what we feel and how we respond and all of those pieces? Yeah. yeah. And I think how you how you get people that information is kind of hard because it's not a it's not another script <laughs> or another protocol to follow um, for an EMDR clinician. It really is like a like I was saying, kind of a rhythm of of community that you get into. Um, but we've we've tried to make this material as accessible to people as possible. And hopefully it's just encouraging, mm -hmm. even if you can't like take one of our trainings or attend one of our consultation services, but to like go out and find community that you can process yeah. your, your professional and personal life together with yeah. and see if you can stumble across these breadcrumb trails of intentionality and, and story um, that, that will make this type of change more frequent or possible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. When we start really looking at, which is going to kind of take us into uh, the training we want to mention today, but start looking at the overlap of EMDR with case conceptualization. Yeah. At Beyond, we talk a lot about case conceptualization and we talk a lot about EMDR, but like when you're an EMDR clinician, like where does case conceptualization fit into the process? Yeah. And how does it's it- It's not one of the steps. No. I mean, <laughs> we, we lump it the... in with like history taking, treatment planning, planning case yeah. conceptualization. But to me, that's such a, a false reality of it's actually, it's all the time, it's all over. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And then how does case conceptualization inform the resource that we're doing? How does it inform the targets we're selecting? How does yeah. it inform like all of the pieces of standard yeah. protocol in the eighth phase? To me, it's the epitome of the eighth phase in all of the phases, like yeah. <laughs> reevaluation going all of the time. Yeah. Um, what's going on? What does it make sense of? How does new resources, you know, make sense? How can we generalize this and future template and all of this mm -hmm. stuff in the simplest of interactions? Yeah. So we have a EMDR working with complex trauma yeah. tool for case conceptualization training. Yes. <laughs> it's it's a, I, some places we're saying training, some it's webinar. webinar. It's four hours. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, that's what it is. Whatever call what do you it. call it? It's four hours of time. <laughs> four hours virtual. Um, but this is a great way to like dip your toe into like, let's, if I already know EMDR, yeah. let's look at those eight phases and see what does case conceptualization mean in each phase. Yeah. And how can I already start to apply it like to each of those phases? Yeah. And this really is actually a really ways. fun webinar to put together. Um, it was just a request from EMDR Canada initially yeah. that like, hey, talk about <laughs> case conceptualization. Yeah. And so, okay. And this, this four-hour training or webinar, these four hours came yes. out of that. And now we've gotten to do it um, there and we're planning to do it in Ireland yeah, and in Australia. in Australia and 
wherever not, you not are. Not actually there. No, no, we're not oh, flying around for a four-hour training. <laughs> if we're physically coming to you, all Gosh, of those that'd be places. pretty tough. <laughs> I say great, you say tough. <laughs> I don't know. I think it'd be fun, but like it'd be a lot. Four hours. Yeah. Um, for days of traveling. <laughs> yes. So it's all virtual, unfortunately, <laughs> but. We, yes, we have this, um, actually the one coming up in Ireland yeah. is an open registration. Australia's closed. It's through a certain company who's yeah. hired us to do it, but it's open registration. So if you are anywhere in that time zone, which I'm going to totally butcher what the time zones are, but it's Dublin time. Dublin, yeah, or, or, um, Ireland, UK. So it's six, yeah. six hours ahead of where we are, Okay. Right? <laughs> oh, now you're. I don't know. Jen. Honestly, time zones just really stress me out. But it's going to be at six a.m. our time. That I do know yes. of. Um, which is yes, twelve Central to four. Standard time. Yep. Yeah. Twelve to four. Perfect. Their time. Six hours ahead of us. It's also on our website if you want to double check. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> But it's a peek behind the curtain. <laughs> what time is it? Like, <laughs> yes. We say this so often. Those who are in a time zone where our trainings don't tend to work for your schedule, this may be an offering that could be useful in that. And it's four hours. Um, we'll go through the eight phases and talk about case conceptualization and give some scripts of like resources and like yeah. really practical tools to apply it. Mm-hmm. Um it's a it's a fun training. We'll be doing that training on remember what day that's on? <laughs> I had it pulled up. <laughs> April twenty sixth. Got it right here. Twenty fourth. Twenty fourth. So April twenty fourth at six a.m. Central Standard Time. You don't have to be in Ireland to take this. Anyone's right. welcome. We have some brave uh, U.S. citizens who want to wake up really early and join us, but. Um, if you are in a different time zone and that happens to work for you, you can also join us um, on the website. We have it listed to register on there and you can pl- pay in US dollars or sterling. Yeah. So it's posted for both. But Yep. And if you can't go to this one, um, this is a webinar I think we're going to be doing kind of like semi-regular. Yeah. I don't know. There's, I would say we would do it again within the next couple months. Yeah. Yeah. We definitely we've already had interest for uh a more US reasonable time. US time. Yeah, yes. <laughs> yes. So we're gonna try to put that together. We don't know the dates yet, but if you're interested, you know, reach out on our website and that'll help us kind of gauge the interest of um yeah. when something like that would work for you all. Or yeah. feel free just to email me directly at jen.savage at beyondhealingcenter.com. Jen loves taking those calls. I just get all kinds of great emails, and it's so fun to to hear from our listeners. That's amazing. I'm the lucky one that gets to do that. Yeah, it's so cool. That's awesome. Fun. So you can also just email me and say hi if you want. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Why not? (laughs) Just several thousand people that can reach out to you. Unfortunately, it's not actually the response we get from (laughs) these kind of episodes, but so many people listen. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Anything else on that? Yeah, I don't. Um, it's been a really fun season so far. Yeah. Back to basics. I know. It is going to be a long response one. response on it. Like, it's going to be a long season. Super long and really <laughs> multiple probably. We'll just yeah, do this for a while. It'll be the what we're doing. Yeah. 
season, whatever. It's <laughs> yeah. just, it is the It is a season. It's back to basics. It's not season four or five, whatever. Yeah. So. Yes. That works. Yeah. So it's really fun. And um, we hope that you all are enjoying it. We're going to maybe finish chapter one here soon of the book. We'll see. <laughs> yes, we'll see. Uh, but we hope to see you at a training or uh, in a consultation space or on our community, uh, beyondhealingcommunity.com. Um, lots of ways to interact there. So, yeah. Thanks for joining. We hope that you have enjoyed this podcast episode and that it will help you help your clients in the process of EMDR therapy. If you are curious to learn more about something that you've heard today, check out our website at www.beyondhealingcenter.com and go to the trainings tab for more information on our upcoming EMDR and case conceptualization trainings. You can also contact us by emailing trainings at beyondhealingcenter.com. If you want to stay connected, please subscribe to this podcast for more episodes, leave us a review, and follow us on social media by searching Notice That Podcast.